0: Before we begin, I want to quickly announce that our patron-exclusive episode on the Pirates of the Caribbean is now live. To listen to the episode, head to the Beyond the Screenplay Patreon, where you can also vote for what movie we should cover in our June patron-exclusive episode. Link in the show notes. Hi. I'm Michael, and welcome to Beyond the Screenplay. Today we are talking about Captain America, Civil War, the 2016 film, screenplay by Christopher Marcus and Stephen McFeely, directed by Anthony and Joe Russo. I'm here with the Lessons from the Screenplay team, Tricia Arand.
1: Hello, everyone.
0: Brian Bittner. Hello. And Alex Coyotos. Hello. So we're talking about Civil War, to tie into the video that we just released, that tracks the character arcs of Iron Man and Captain America across the whole MCU, the 11 year saga that happened. Uh, and this idea came from you, Brian. So do you want to talk about how this idea came to you and why you thought it'd be a good video?
2: Yeah, definitely. Um, I've had this idea for a year. It was like a note in my phone that I took while listening to Marcus and McFeely, the screenwriters uh, on a podcast. They were talking about the, the arcs of Steve and Tony. And the two quotes that really stuck with me, I'm very glad made it into the video, which are that their arcs clash in the middle when Tony becomes more you know, selfless and uh, Steve becomes a little more self-interested, and that at the end, their paths are complete when Tony sacrifices his life and Steve gets a life. And I was just like, "Ooh, that's great." And then suddenly I just saw the entire MCU in front of me and just thinking about three phases, three acts. Technically, civil wars at the beginning of the third phase, but if you you know, in terms of like the Mm -hmm. big, the big ensemble movies, it's the it's the middle of five, um, and it just sort of felt like really nice and clean. And and then rewatching it to start working on it, I just realized how much, you know, you never know quite when they start figuring out. Oh, here's what we're going to do two movies from now, or here's what, but how many times in Avengers and Age of Ultron, like either Tony or Steve state their beliefs and it's while arguing with the other one and I just thought oh it's so cool that it just when you watch it all together it just feels like this full thing that was planned from the beginning which in some regards it was I'm sure they knew at some point we'll probably get to do Civil War so let's sort of plant those seeds now even if we haven't quite figured out when that's going to happen finally we started talking about it and then we were able to uh, to come up with the video just sort of tracking the, the thesis antithesis synthesis <laughs> you know journey that they both go on I immediately got
0: excited about it just because it's a fun Idea, but also because I think it it is highlighting the thing that I find the most impressive about the MCU yeah. is that these two characters do have this great arc, and uh, I'm glad that we're talking about Civil War, the the film in particular, because I've realized that that's I think when I got into the MCU, uh-huh. like I think up to that point I was going out of curiosity slash obligation. And Civil War, I went and saw and walked away and was like, wait, that was really fun. There were some interesting ideas. And so that, I think, marked a turning point for me in my personal journey with the MCU. Uh, And I feel like that also, it seems to me that's when they started to really figure out, okay, and Mm -hmm. now we know where we're going. Because the things that get set up seem like they have a very clear trajectory. But yeah, I'm I'm curious. Alex, I know you have a a complicated (laughs) relationship with the mcu
3: <laughs> shall we say what what's yeah. your impression of, of <laughs> civil war it's amazing because my experience is the exact opposite of yours civil <laughs> Civil war is where i was like i don't know if i can do this anymore uh because i think <laughs> it was just like it's honestly it's honestly where marvel started to lose me because i think it was the first you know, I I don't know if I had seen every single Marvel movie up until Civil War. Um, they're probably I think they I think I'd missed. Ant- I'll Man. help you
1: out. You hadn't. Yeah. I had. There's I'm no sure. chance. you hadn't. <laughs> I'm sure I hadn't.
3: Yeah, because I'm not sure I'm not sure where in the spectrum it falls timeline wise. Um, but I, I mean, I saw all the early ones. I saw the Iron Mans and the Captain Americas and um, Thor and and I en- I enjoyed those movies generally. And I think part of why I liked them was that they still seemed to function as individual movies. Um, so I could go to a movie theater and sit down and like enjoy this film, yeah, there's Samuel L. Jackson at the end, you know, saying a one liner after the credits and like oh what what's that? okay, whatever, but like the movie itself felt like a movie, and I like could enjoy it, and I didn't have to like be deeply deeply invested in like twenty characters to like enjoy this one movie and Civil War, it was the first time where Marvel began to feel like this movie in and of itself doesn't seem to have like an internal reason to exist. It's just this like product in a larger continuum of products and symbols. <laughs> and it's like it's like a connective glue that is like establishing like products to come and like bringing in like the symbols from the past products. And it's like a nexus of products, but it doesn't feel to me like A movie it doesn't feel to me like i'm so happy i got i went to a theater and sat down and watched this movie because like when i'm watching this movie i feel unmoored i don't feel like i don't know where i am i i I know that like there are characters from five movies ago that i'm supposed to remember why i'm supposed to care about them i know there's characters being set up in this movie that don't seem to really matter in this movie but like will matter later and i don't know what is contained within the boundaries of this movie that actually is of consequence.
1: Well, my question then is, so now that you've seen where it all goes, so like, I, I think you're wrong, but I think that like, I think that you maybe weren't the only one to feel that way going to see it, um, you know, especially as an adult, right? So like, we are kind of the audience for this, but we're maybe not the primary audience for this right. entire franchise. So I, I get that. But now that you've seen where it all goes and you see where Civil War falls in this amazing, like, very, very long saga, do you, has that changed how you feel about it?
3: Definitely revisiting it, I was really impressed with the Black Panther setup. Like, that was cool. Like, I okay. like I like there was some stuff where I was like, that's interesting. Like, they really had a plan and they were setting up, you know, things that I'm going to care about more later. That said, like, I really enjoyed Endgame because it like had an ending and it was a movie with stakes and like it had, you know, it it was able to function as a movie like like Endgame has like an opening, like a cold open that is like riveting and it has a conclusion that is emotional. And I feel like these in between movies like. I don't enjoy them on their own honestly like I they're, oh my God. I I enjoy them <laughs> I enjoy them in theory like I enjoy them as like ideas like as once again like like how impressive it is that like this franchise was managed so well so that things could be like woven together but like I I watched it again after having done this Marvel video which I will say, like, really uh, upped my appreciation for the franchise. Like, working on this Captain America Iron Man video, I was really wowed by the fact that they had built such a perfect arc for the two characters. So I went back into Civil War to rewatch it this last week, ready to like it more. And, I man, it was hard for me to get through. Oh, I was, I was, t- I was tuning out. <laughs> I was just kind of like soul sick by the end of it. Do you yeah. hear that? Do you yeah. hear
1: our <laughs> listeners screaming at you in their cars? bring or it on. wherever they are bring it oh, on.
3: God. or, or I, screaming I gave, in celebration I gave it another I fair. gave it another chance i really I went into it wanting to love it
1: Ugh.
0: so I think you're entirely right, and the the writer and directors have said that this was the first movie where you it's not self contained where right. they right. they leaned into the idea of like at this point we're going to expect you to have been invested in this so it isn't a standalone at least a working knowledge mm-hmm. yeah right yeah so it's not a standalone movie that allows it to be something else where they don't have to spend the first you know third of the movie setting up all this stuff it can just be okay now like we're going to pick up where we were and it lets it become kind of this the what the marvel films ultimately became and allowed them to set up things like Endgame. it was interesting because thinking back. This was, as I said, the, the movie that I got really excited and really into. Like, I liked some of the earlier ones also, but this was the one where I was like, oh, this is actually really fun seeing them all fight each other. And like, that, you know, the airplane or the yeah, airport yeah, yeah. fight scene is just, we can talk about it, is just fun from top to bottom. But revisiting it, I was less impressed with it this time around. And I think for me, it's because... Infinity War and then Endgame were so impressive and like stuck the landing mm-hmm. so well that going back a little bit, I was reminded a little bit of, of how I, what you're talking about, Alex, that I also felt a little bit of this, like it wasn't quite firing on all cylinders and, and felt a little bit like the the filler that's required versus the, the satisfaction of the one, two of Infinity War and Endgame.
1: I just start with you two like michael this is the midpoint of the series midpoints are your favorite thing in the whole world this that's is i i love it it's a great one alex yeah. you love long-form storytelling and television shows and that's and what crunchy this is. like. and that's when this shifted <laughs> from like a bunch of disconnected superhero nonsense into like a real long-form storytelling thing
3: I guess. Why do I
1: have to sell this movie to you guys? It's so cool. It's not even about like world ending stakes. It's like the stakes are so much smaller. It's about the relationships between the characters. I think that there's like such compelling human drama at the heart of this. And I, what is happening? (laughs) I don't know. Brian, talk some sense to them.
3: (laughs) Oh, I'll just say, like, I understand that. And like, I think once again, in theory, I should like this movie. And in theory, it should be like the point where, yeah, like I got more engaged because it's like how cool they're building this like ongoing story. I just don't care about the story and I don't care about the characters. (laughs) Like, like it never, like it never won me over that way. Like, I feel like I'm watching things happen because they have to happen to get to the next thing, but not because I'm enjoying them while they're happening. Like that's, I have a feeling of like almost it's like I'm, it's like the obligation thing you mentioned, Michael. It's like, we are all obligated to watch the Marvel movies because there's going to be more after this. And you're going to have to watch this one to know what the hell is going on in this one. And so it's like, I'm doing this out of my duty to Marvel, but like within, <laughs> within the two and a half hours of watching this movie, I'm not like deriving that much pleasure from it. Like it's, it's, it's a duty to like get to the next one.
1: Captain America pulls down a helicopter with his muscles. I don't know what else you want. Like...
0: I mean, I'm fine with that. <laughs> 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 and I I do like that in in the commentary the writer and directors were sort of like,
2: "lol, we did that." Like they're aware of how like goofy and fun it is. Marcus and McFeely, like I do appreciate that they they really are sort of happy to be self referential and kind of make fun of themselves, and I think mm-hmm. that that helps. You know, it's, it's like we we're saying, like, this our Scott Pilgrim episode. It's like, as soon as you have Anna Kendrick going like, what? It's like, OK, we're all in this together. Like, <laughs> right. You have um, you have Spider-Man saying, uh, you know, that thing does not obey the law of physics at all.
3: Or mm-hmm. Sam
2: says, like, everyone has a gimmick these days. You know, like they said right, um, right. on uh, on the Endgame podcast, they were like, they're like, yeah, we had. Originally in the time heist, like five minutes of self-referential jokes that was just kind of like, <laughs> before Kevin Feige walked in and looked at it, I was like, guys, what are you doing? <laughs> like, relax a little bit. But I do appreciate that because it shows like we're not taking this too seriously, even though we are treating it in a serious way. And I think that's I really like that balance.
0: Yeah. Well, and listening to the commentary for the movie, one of the like best screenwriting lessons I feel like they they talked about was. How they balanced the tone of this movie because it mm-hmm. it swings wildly. Like there are very right. dark moments, pretty between. intense swings. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, they were sort of saying that you know they they wanted the main characters that are directly involved with the accords and making the choices. So you know Tony and Steve mm-hmm. and Tasha and T'Challa. They they're all like serious for the mo- like for the most part they yeah. have right. to be committed to the thing because this is a very serious thing for them. But in order to keep the movie fun, they allowed themselves to bring in those characters like Ant Man and Spider Man. Mm-hmm. And like mm-hmm. all, so like all of the laughs are given to the people that are not right. emotionally invested in the same way. I'm and shaking that, your hand so that, too
2: long. Captain, America, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know you too. You're great.
0: Right. <laughs> and so that's, they're saying it's not by accident that those people have the fun moments because right. they're the people that can have the fun mom- moments without jeopardizing the gravity of the actual right. drama.
1: And they it like right out of the gate especially with Tony's character because he isn't in that opening sequence where they're um, you know, it's like uh, Natasha and Scarlet Witch is there and they're going up against, I'm sorry, what is the name of that cross, what is that guy's name? Crossbones? Crossbones.
0: Yeah. Angry yeah. Punch Man?
1: Yeah. <laughs> 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 right, so But Iron Man is not in that sequence, which I think is a really interesting decision because he is going to become such a huge part of this movie. They let that sort of like be over there and it it dramatically, the effect of that sequence is mostly on Wanda, even though you could see it potentially could impact Cap as well. But then they let the, the holdover from the Sokovia Accords come back in. So when we first meet or first see Tony in this movie, you have this really dramatic opening scene with his parents in this simulation where he's like i wish it would have gone that way it's so it's such a 180 from how we're used to seeing tony right like Mm -hmm. it's Mm -hmm. he's not flippant at all and then when he's confronted by this grieving mother um which to me is like one of the best scenes in the entire mcu or one of the most grounding scenes in the entire mcu Mm -hmm. that's where we open with tony and I think it's a really smart decision to start off that way. And again, it gives it that gravity that it absolutely has to have for these like inter character moments to actually have weight.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you, and you have sort of these two characters who are kind of dealing with the same idea, but in these yeah. two very different ways, because Wanda does, Wanda basically has the same. Thing that Tony has, which is like, I was responsible for deaths mm-hmm. and I am very guilty about it, but they have different responses, which hers is like, let's get out of town, you know, and and right. Tony's is like, let's just put ourselves in check. And I think that like, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of just weight in this movie with like Bucky killing mm-hmm. Tony's parents and, oh, it's uh, you know, and all this kind of stuff. but. Yeah. The moment that stuck out to me this time was when Sharon Carter is giving Peggy's uh, like eulogy. Yeah. She says, you know, oh, Peggy always told me don't budge, uh, like compromise when you have to, but don't budge if you don't believe in something. And the interesting thing is Cap could take that either way. Right. He could take that and say, well, compromise when you have mm-hmm. to. But he could also say, if you don't believe in it, don't budge. And he chooses to take it the way he takes it, you know. Um, and I just think it's really cool that you you see these characters dealing with the same kind of theme or, or different takes on the theme and they're kind of both right. And they're kind of both wrong, you know, and it's mm-hmm. just that they, because they, they choose the sides they choose, then it ends up causing this, this conflict obviously.
0: And I feel like they're able to walk that line really well, where you get where both of them are coming from. Like, I think for me a little bit, the, the, like the setups of it and like the, the reasonings behind where they're coming from. Some doesn't connect as much as other things, but where they actually are in regards to the Sokovia Accords, I feel like is this really is kind of what you're looking for, where you can see both sides. You can see why Tony would be like, we need to be kept in check. Like oversight of some kind is good. This is maybe too extreme, but maybe it's better than nothing. Right. But you also understand, you know, even from the Marvel history, why... Putting trust in organizations of power has like been terrible. <laughs> Not worked out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not worked out. And so I I feel like that's what drew me in, is they they really find this balance in a compelling way for me. Exactly. Hello, listener. So Trisha has watched a movie on Mubi. And movie if you don't know, is a curated streaming service showing exceptional hand-picked films from around the globe. Trisha, what did you watch?
1: I watched The Strange Love of Martha Ivers, which is actually a movie i had been meaning to see already. It's from 1946. It's a wonderful film noir um, starring Barbara Stanwyck, Van Heflin, super young Kirk Douglas and Elizabeth <laughs> Scott, who I really, Whoa. really love. I know. Um It's a really fascinating movie. Uh, It's by a Ukrainian filmmaker named Louis Milestone.
2: That's not a real name. No way.
1: (laughs) It's about this. um, It's a love triangle. And it opens with these three characters that are in like a small town, essentially, in the rural United States during the Depression. And there's like, they're kind of all caught up in this murder. And so they have this secret. And that's kind of like a prologue. And then. The rest of the movie is about them as adults and like this love triangle that develops and how it all kind of spirals out from there with like blackmail and like intrigue. And Kirk Douglas plays like, the da in the town but he's a crazy alcoholic and really unhinged and it's awesome um i had a really good time watching it but there's a lot of good stuff on movie right now so it's almost even hard to choose this one because girl walks home alone at night is on there right now uh-huh, which yeah. is so good if you haven't seen it and dawson city frozen time which is a crazy documentary about like film that was actually frozen in ice in this like, oh wow Yeah, and they pulled it out and they like processed it. And anyway, there's lots of great stuff on there right now, but also The Strange Love of Martha Ivers.
0: Awesome. That does sound cool. I like a good twisty noir. Mm -hmm. Uh, Awesome. Well, so listener, if you want to check out The Strange Love of Martha Ivers or any of the other unique selections on Mubi, you can try Mubi for free for 30 days at Mubi.com slash beyond the screenplay. That's mub icom slash beyond the screenplay. In doing so, you'll be helping to support the show and getting to watch a twisty noir from 1954?
1: 46! <laughs> 46.
0: 46. <laughs> Same thing. Thanks to Movie for sponsoring Beyond the Screenplay.
3: Yeah, and, and, I'll, and I'll say, you know, a lot of my complaints with this movie have to do with just the overall thing that it is. But there's a lot <laughs> in this movie I do like. You know, mm-hmm. I like I, I actually really like a lot of this first half of the film where there is a lot of time just spent on kind of grappling with the reality of we have this universe with a group of like superhuman extra powerful people enhanced like en- enhanced people <laughs> mm-hmm. t- <laughs> that can basically do whatever they want, and that's kind of terrifying and you know I know like the d c movies kind of deal with the same idea, you know it's kind of became a cross platform. <laughs> the theme. <laughs> you don't uh, need to
1: throw the DCU a bone for the record. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> no need.
3: Didn't DC kind of do it first as far as like the Superman versus Batman? I think they came out around the same time. I mean, yeah. the conflict has been like,
0: you know, in the comics for forever. Right. It's right? not a right. new right. Source, source, but yeah. Yeah. But it was around this time that the, the movies and it, this is again the things that the creators talk about that the movies became aware of mm-hmm. how uh, audiences were perceiving you know the destruction and all of the you know at the end of every movie a city has been demolished and probably like millions of innocent people were killed. <laughs> right. <laughs> I feel like the the DC universe like leaned into that much harder. I think than the MCU
2: a little bit. Right. It's a subjective opinion. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, The Incredibles did that first because the entire like
1: yeah
2: setup of The Incredibles is like hey superheroes are causing a lot of trouble. Let's make them basically illegal.
1: Right. Exactly.
2: But I, I genuinely was interested
3: in that conflict. And I do, I did find it to be interesting. And I, I think part of where the movie loses me is, and I've mentioned this on other podcasts is the Bucky factor because, <laughs> because I was watching it again. I understand, I understand this time. I understand that like, you know, Bucky was mind controlled. He's been a victim, like Steve's oil to his old time friends from way back in the day. But I think that's part of, you know, when I was talking about the, like the disconnection you feel sometimes, plopped into the middle of the story because they're not worrying about setting up like what was Bucky before he was the winter soldier? Like Mm -hmm. what, like what was his relationship with Steve before Steve just took pity on this guy who's brainwashed? Like we don't have any of that in this movie, honestly, except for some throwaway lines about like childhood in Brooklyn near the end. And Mm -hmm. I think that's the kind of thing where it's like, if the emotional catalyst for captain America to swing really hard against Iron Man is going to be this guy who's been like, Framed for this crime, then I I I do want within this movie, within this product, a little bit more of understanding of like what their relationship is.
1: Stop lobbing the word "product" at this movie like it's a slur. <laughs> <laughs> like honestly, Alex, this is a movie. It is a film. Some might say um, you can engage it on that level. Sorry, Brian. Go ahead. What were you gonna say?
2: Um, <laughs> <laughs> just that that this um, this movie does certainly require. The first two Captain America movies to be pretty fresh in it your does. in your head, like you know crossbones is not like the most interesting character ever, and you know, but it's like you have to have just watched Winter Soldier to have him be like, "Oh, you again, or whatever, and it's like oh okay right, right. you you know i I like vaguely remember you, Bucky is obviously like he's a huge deal in both the first two movies, so if you have a working knowledge, you're gonna remember them at least, but um but yeah, it definitely i mean that is. On our MCU podcast, we talked about how the movies feel like these episodic things sometimes. Like when mm-hmm. I saw the very first Iron Man, the first movie, I just thought like, oh, that didn't quite feel like a full thing. It felt like part of something. And then now, 11 years later, I'm able to look at it with a bird's eye view and be like, oh, this is really cool. Uh, I actually felt the same way watching The Mandalorian, where I was so frustrated that each episode was just a kind of standalone thing. And then... Then episodes seven and eight were finally like, now we're bringing it all together. And I was like, cool. I wish you had done that a little sooner, but it was very, it was very satisfying to watch those last two episodes. The way like watching end game is like, here's everything coming together. I think what the Russos did for the MCU is kind of what Alfonso Coron and then later David Yates did for Harry uh-huh. Potter or mm-hmm. like what JJ Abrams did for mission impossible, which is like, they brought this, this sort of groundedness to it. You know, you watch Winter Soldier and I'm not like the biggest political thriller fan. Uh, so watching Winter Soldier or even Civil War the first time, I was like, okay, like I'm not really following these like and then there's this and this guy is pretending to be this guy or whatever. I'm like, okay. But when the action scenes happen, I'm just really appreciating that they are, as you would say, Alex, crunchy. Like there is this like very grounded sense to them. Like there's one moment in Civil War where Bucky grabs the motorcycle and it goes like, and it's like slows down. <laughs> uh-huh. And I'm like, that just feels out of place because the rest of the movie feels. Pretty grounded and sort of gritty with the way it handles the action, um, and and I appreciate that because I think they set a new tone for the MCU. Captain America: The First Avenger was directed by the guy who directed The Rocketeer, and it feels like it Yeah. Uh, sure. because it's just it's sort of a it's sort of really goofy, and you know I think as you said, Trisha, when you were rewatching it, like nothing in here is real. Yeah, uh, but I mean, it, it really is not. <laughs> but but the thing I appreciate about Civil War Two is that like it doesn't feel like this one episode. I I know what you're saying, Alex. It feels like. They're set up for the future, and there's stuff you need to know from the past. But in terms of the structure of a movie, it feels like three movies in one. It's like every act has like builds to mm-hmm. this climax, and it keeps going. And I feel like that's what I want from this kind of movie, as opposed to some of the other MCU movies, which feel like, oh, here's a guy, here's a bad guy, got the bad guy, okay, like next movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one thing I do appreciate about Civil Wars. It just feels it feels grounded and weighty for as like kind of silly as it gets it's like now there's a ant-man is like throwing things at people and that kind of thing but it just feels like this like nice complete movie that is like very um uh ambitious
1: i agree and i want to um highlight something here that i really really appreciate from the screenwriters and from the directors because, Alex, the Bucky problem that you are describing is a real problem, right? We called it it's out. It's
0: a real problem. It's a real
1: problem. <laughs> we talked about it in our other podcast about the MCU on Infinity War and Endgame. And, you know, you have this character who kind of needs to be a plot device, but he also has to be a person, right? And I think we can definitely argue about the extent to which he feels more like one or the other. Um in a potentially negative way. (laughs) But I will say that to the screenwriter, to Marcus McFeely's credit here, they seem to understand that they're going to need to do some kind of grounding work for the character in this movie. Because unfortunately, the thing about a brainwashed character is that brainwashing robs them of their agency. That's the whole point, right? We don't have, as you were saying, Alex, a really good sense of who Bucky was before he became the Winter Soldier. And we need to, in order to get on board with why he's important to Cap. So I think the critical scene in this, in terms of that like storyline, is the one where he's starting to have memories again of um Cap. And so when, when Cap goes to find him and bring him in himself and they're in that apartment, the like little crappy apartment, mm-hmm. and Cap, and they go and they look at each other in the face, they're in the room together, And he's starting to say, like, I remember this about you. I remember that about you. Whether or not it worked for you personally, Alex, to the screenwriter's credit, they understand we have to have this scene. We Mm -hmm. have to actually, like, imbue these two characters with some relationship, some sense of stakes, so we know why we're going to care about Bucky for the rest of this movie. The other sequence that I really like in terms of character work is when Bucky gets loose after he has been brainwashed and everybody has to fight him without any of their gear or, like, tools mm. or weapons that, that's or anything, a, that's a which is, is a cool, mm-hmm, cool yeah. sequence.
2: The look on Tony's yeah. face when he, like, shoots the gun, and the only reason he didn't just get his head blown off is because he had his iron hand yes. over it. He's just right. like, uh.
0: <laughs> I feel like that's the only time we see him fight without a suit. Right. Mm. Or at least it's the, the only one I can remember. There's
1: a moment in Endgame where he gets smashed by the Hulk and he doesn't have his suit on, and mm. he's, like, knocked unconscious, you know, like <laughs> right, as he right. would be, but.
3: Yeah, I, I do want to say that the car chase like action scene in Winter Soldier is maybe one of my favorite action scenes of like recent mm. years. It's a cool like, one. like that was a really that's when I the Russos did that movie. And I was like, who like who's directing this? This is like way better than I would expect for just like another entry in this franchise. So, yeah, I mean, th- definitely there is a craft to some of the action that these guys do that is like Very really remarkable, really remarkable.
1: Yes, Absolutely.
3: And I feel like for me, I agree with Alex to the extent that I'm
0: never invested in Bucky either. Like, there, Bucky has a line where he says, I don't know if I'm worth all this, Steve. And yep. every time I watch it, I'm like, <laughs> you are correct. Um, <laughs> but You're definitely not worth all this. Like, <laughs> right. this is not worth it. <laughs> but Where's I do feel like... <laughs> well, and I was going to say, I think the performances of everybody... Uh, like make me believe it enough to like go along with it. And I feel like that's another thing that the MCU should be praised for is like all the actors like come oh, to play. Yeah. right? Like yeah. they deliver and Chris Evans and to, like it, it's cool hearing about how they, you know, Robert Downey Jr. wasn't contracted to do this movie mm-hmm. uh, because it was just going to be, you know, another Captain America movie originally. right? And so they had to go to him and like convince him to do this. And so they sort of had to explain, like, this is going to be like a new Tony, like he's going to evolve, there's going to be these other things happening. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of what got Robert Downey Jr. excited about it. And I feel like that's, you can feel that like, there's actual like dramatic character changes happening and they're delivering on it and taking it 100% seriously, mm-hmm. which I think is what pulls you in.
1: The moment I can't get over is Robert Downey Jr.'s performance when he says, I don't care, he killed my mom.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. That always stood out to me. Oh, Yeah.
1: It's so yeah. devastating. And it, you buy it. You're like, all of the logic aside, we are going to have this fight scene because it's about something personal to the character.
3: Right. I, I actually, I'd forgotten about that twist are we watching mm-hmm. it and um because i was like how are they going to end up all fighting each other by the end of this movie because i know there's <laughs> like the cool shot where all three of them are fighting and then that twist happened I'm like oh that's right that's a good mm-hmm. twist that yeah. shot
2: by the way like they put too much in the trailer for this movie because that shot where it's the wide shot of the three of them and uh-huh. bucky throws sh- the shield yeah. and then they just yeah. start fighting and I'm just like that and putting spider-man in the trailer and everything i was like i would have been a lot more excited watching this movie if i didn't know any of that was coming yeah Uh, There is an element, though, where I watch these movies and because I'm not like I I still consider myself a casual Marvel fan, even though I have like seen all the movies and I enjoyed them and I've seen them multiple times and stuff. I'm still not like the like crazy fanboy, partially just because of like the age that this whole thing, the age I was when this whole thing started. Right. But like I can genuinely get excited for people. 10 years younger than me like there are moments Mm -hmm. where i get like emotional not even personally i'm like getting like emotional by proxy for (laughs) the person who was you know 10 when iron man came out and then at 21 is now watching this whole thing like finally finish. i'm just like i'm so excited for you i (laughs) mean you can go see
1: them with kids it'll give you that for sure
2: right we talked about that a little bit on our episode we're like
0: Mm -hmm. sitting next to children I thought was going to be super annoying during infinity war and then seeing their minds be blown, right. like transferred their energy into me.
3: It was <laughs> amazing. You sucked their energy, like a yes. rogue from X-Men. <laughs> yes.
2: Really quick. There's a, there's B roll footage on YouTube from this movie. And I recommend anybody just go on YouTube and type in civil war B roll because you get to see the actual, stunts being done and like some of the explosions happening you could see how much was actually practical sometimes it's mm-hmm. the actors doing doing actually a lot of their own work and then sometimes it's obviously like scarlett johansson's like amazing stunt woman you know right. kicking her way up a person to like
0: snap <laughs> his neck with her like whatever actually
2: doing those flippy things yeah. right exactly okay. yeah. uh, and it's just it's really cool like it made me appreciate the movie even more to see how much was was really done practical and it, and it comes across in the movie obviously yeah
1: yeah i think it, all of that really works for me the airport fight sequence is obviously like so much of that couldn't be practical of course i agree with you alex that it's at that point where you're just like this is awesome but because there's so many characters you're not really able to track with them as emotionally as you are so mm-hmm. for me like i enjoy watching the airport fight sequence but it doesn't have packed the same emotional punch as the last sequence where Cap and Tony are fighting each other, right. because I understand what that's about. Right, It's about, he killed right. my mom, you were my friend, and and that's why I like this movie among a lot of the other movies in the MCU, because the villain's plan is just to get even with these people or, like, make them hurt emotionally in the same way that they hurt him. Like, I really, really like Zemo's whole, like, master plan it's not about he knows he can't take down the avengers he knows that like yeah there's there's going to be no ultimate victory for him it's just this wounded person who is trying to wound other human beings i love that as a choice in the entire approach to this movie
0: well yeah they they talk so i was thinking about this and like people that hate the last Jedi must also hate this movie because this movie subverts expectations like crazy. It does. Like that's like the whole thing of this movie is like subverting what a superhero movie is and what Mm -hmm. you expect the third act of a superhero movie to be like thematically. They're dealing with that with the accords and look at all the destruction that happens when you guys are saving the world. You're also killing all these people. Mm -hmm. And so the third act of this isn't that it's, an internal conflict. Yes. And so I feel like this is a really great example of kind of using, you know, at, at this point, this was, I don't, I don't know what number, but we'd seen a lot of superhero movies at this point. And I think that's the other thing that's kind of interesting and noteworthy about this film is that it, it is starting to become self referential in a meta way as well as within the universe and sort of like we know what a superhero movie is we know what you're expecting you're expecting them to get to this siberian compound and all these other people are going to be super soldiers and cap and iron man are going to unite and fight it together but instead they're all dead and it's this emotional reveal that makes it a character twist and Mm -hmm. then leads to like the most brutal fight like it's up awful. to that point yeah yeah like when bucky like jams his like hand into tony's chest like mm-hmm. i feel that like i don't even know what i'm feeling but i feel it it's <laughs> and then Cap's just like <laughs> s-
2: slamming the shield down on tony's shit like you really get a sense like he it's is awful. he's gonna kill him yeah
1: well and okay. that in that moment where tony where he rips like half of his mask off and he's been punching him you know in the face and then his mask is gone tony throws his hands up over his face because he's like exactly and then then of course the shield comes down right on his chest but again that moment of just fear like Mm -hmm. this person that i love and trust is going to actually kill me right now is visible in the performance but it's also just like a really visceral reaction that you get when you watch it
0: and it comes after tony kicking Cap's ass like no one has ever done before and we see him bleeding which like basically never happens so yeah yeah, it's it's all very visceral
2: yeah Yeah. I I think the thing that is really tricky and I think this movie balances it really well is Like, ever since the first Avengers movie, because I know, like, one of the biggest things in comics is, like, what if Wolverine fought Spider-Man or whatever? Like, it's (laughs) always just, like, what if these Mm -hmm. two characters fought? And the first Avengers movie, you have that, like, Cap versus Thor versus Iron Man fight. And then, of course, you can always just unleash Hulk and have him have to fight each other. And then this movie, the entire movie is is centered around uh, Avengers fighting each other. Um, But... But I think that that kind of
1: like stoner, what if question, (laughs) (laughs) but what if,
2: right. But I think that the problem, especially with the airport battle, which, you know, I think the airport battle is fun, but there is a sort of lack of stakes to it where other than T'Challa, who's like genuinely there to, to basically kill Bucky like everybody's there to be like hey we're still friends like we're gonna fight but like let's just try to win and not actually hurt each other right that's really tricky because then you're like okay but I'm now I'm just watching eye candy and that's fine it's really good eye candy but then I think what it does next is having Rhodey basically almost die because then it's like Mm -hmm. okay there are there are real consequences to this and then of course that brings us into the final showdown where you genuinely have characters who who are certainly considering actually killing each other and and i think that it's unfortunate that like you can't have you can't always have your cake and eat it too in terms of like we want these characters to fight each other but we also like them and we don't want anybody to die (laughs) so it's like they all have to like fight happily fight in a friendly way why did Rhodey have to
3: live after all? Like, because I think that was a moment where it's like, oh, wow, they're going to kill like somebody right. close to Tony. This is a big deal. That would actually like kind of change the game. Mm-hmm. But it was a kind of a weird cop out where it's like he's kind of pretend dead. And it was kind of fine. like a Chewbacca on the ship. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Right.
2: Because that is not as big of a deal as Bucky like literally killing tony's parents you know right. i think that 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 is a much higher reason to get into that but i think like i said that's a backstory does... thing that's not like an in the movie because i guess like i think if an airport fight
3: began as we're all friends still kind of but we're gonna try to bring you in and so we have to fight a little bit if that ended with tragedy that would be an interesting twist on that fight
1: i don't know i i think this was the right call because you don't want Rody if roadie dies right there which i agree would pack a huge emotional punch but if you have that then what brian is saying and i agree it takes away the sort of like long term sort of much bigger overarching like ideological conflict that cap and tony really can't resolve right it's it's not about i mean it's not really about the accords it's not really about um any one thing it's more about this like overarching worldview that that Tony and Cap have that brings them into conflict, and you don't want it to be about one death like Rhodey's, even though that would be a huge, like, deal.
3: Mm-hmm. And
1: so I think it was the right decision to have Rhodey live through it, but the consequences to me still feel real. Like, when I see Rhodey walking at the end of this movie, you know, using his, like, magical Iron Man legs right. that, <laughs> that Iron Man gives him, but then he falls down. Like, I see that in Recovery, and it's like, those are serious consequences he's yeah. paralyzed basically and so i do think that it was the right scale of stakes to sort of uh, bring in at the end of that airport fight scene
0: i think i agree with both sides where i feel like i i wanted him to actually be dead because mm. when they reveal he's alive i was like oh okay well he's he's okay he's like fine basically but i also do think that having him die as a consequence makes the whole thing more unforgivable Right, and I feel like you don't come back kind of, from it
1: ever. Uh, yeah,
0: right. right. So I can kind of see both sides to to that.
1: On the same note, quite literally, because I woke up and I found that I had written this note on my phone in the middle of the night. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I hope it's worded in a ridiculous way. It
1: is readable. It says the brief nature of film demands quick resolution and therefore short term consequences, if any. The power of longer form storytelling is to depict real consequences and provide a catharsis for all of us who have experienced them.
0: We need to get dream Trisha on the podcast.
1: (laughs) But yeah, it's it it is the thing of like, you're much more, Alex, you're much more of a TV person than I am. I, I rarely watch uh like five seasons of a TV show from start to finish. But that's where The Infinity Saga, for me, crosses into that long-form storytelling where we start to see long-term consequences. And so when I was going back to re-watch this, I watched all of the Iron Man movies, all of the Captain America movies, and then all of the Avengers movies. And the ongoing fallout from Civil War as it like bleeds into the second half of this series is really palpable. And I like all of the longer-term consequences that we get, as well as the consequence of events that happened early in Iron Man and early. in so like um, it is in this movie where we realize Tony and Pepper are no longer together. Like I like Mm -hmm. that as a consequence of like, he is Iron Man. He made that decision and that cost him something. Mm -hmm. I think that's where the MCU succeeds so well, where a lot of other people who are trying to do this kind of haven't figured that out.
2: Yeah, and that has a nice thematic tie to it too, which is like there was a consequence of something, and now a person and I are not actually, you know, not in on speaking terms necessarily, but they're not together, uh, and that's what this movie is. Um, mm-hmm. and I, and I do like that the movie ends on this sort of positive note where he, where Tony gets the letter from Steve, who says like, "Look, I know we're maybe not agreeing right now, but I'll I'll be there for you if I need to be there for you." But yeah. then they they basically don't have them reconnect for for two movie you know for 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 several movies
0: and like five years at least has passed by the time they do reconnect in in endgame Mm -hmm. which which i I feel like is another thing this creative team leans on in an interesting way like i think they use the passage of time Mm -hmm. to their advantage and like push like this is how much people have changed since like you last saw them and it's like just i think it's usually just in the right zone of oh i can believe that that's kind of where we're at like i can more or less believe that Vision has a crush on Wanda now? Like, sure. Like, yeah.
1: <laughs> I like Wanda and Vision. I like it.
0: It's I liked it more this time. The The scene where they're... Where, cooking? Yeah, they're cooking. <laughs> Vision's trying to make paprika. Like, it's, it's... Is that paprikash? Is there too much pepper <laughs> on your paprika?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think of that every time. <laughs> oh, that's uh. so funny.
0: But yeah, it's like watching it from like a screenwriting lens. Like it is goofy, just because like who are these people? What is what is happening? Like she's <laughs> <Yeah. between laughs> an actual this...
1: robot, right?
0: <laughs> right, a robot that's an AI. That like wait, what? You can go through walls, but I feel like that scene is like such an efficient scene. Like it sets yes, up it like mm, right. their their feelings, and also that she's trapped, and right. it all it like it's all like self contained and such a like nice little package that it's just a really impressive feat of writing and, and i feel like overall that's the thing i'm kind of continually impressed by is like the the, the way they manage tone and pacing across this movie and then especially infinity war and game i feel like they, mm-hmm. they
1: really nail it yeah for sure
2: another thing that marcus and mcfeely do uh they talked about on the that podcast that i mentioned is they said like they want to make some of the lesser thought of movies feel a little more important in hindsight So that's why Mm -hmm. you have Age of Ultron is sort of like the impetus for Tony's storyline in Civil War. And then in Endgame, Thor is going back to like Dark World territory and Mm -hmm. and that kind of thing. And and I think that's really interesting. I mean, if it feels too obvious, like it feels like you're forcing it, then that's not good, obviously. But I do think it's really interesting then that the idea is you go back and let's say you rewatch the entire Infinity Saga. Now you're watching the dark world going like, Oh man, like his mom is dying. And like, that's going to be a huge thing in end game. And you know, like that kind of thing where you are, or you're watching age of Ultron and you're like, okay, this is kind of a standalone movie, but when that Island falls on it, when that city falls on everyone, like that's going to really cause some backlash to everything. And I think that that's a really interesting thing that I'm sure plenty of TV writers, you know, have thought about Mm -hmm. plenty, which is like, let's take some things that have been done and like, let's kind of recontextualize them through this new story that we're telling. I just, it's, you know, really interesting to hear them talk about that. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker,
1: you'll find what you came for here and more.
2: So ask yourself, what is it you want?
1: discover williamsburg and plan
2: your trip at visit
1: williamsburg.com i thought
3: that was brilliant end game the way they worked in so much from the entire series it, it reminded me of a great series finale for a tv show you know because yeah. that's, mm-hmm. that's always what you want is you want a little bit of a retrospective and a little bit of a like let's go back to the good old days and remember the journey we've been on and mm-hmm. to work that in with the time heist was so brilliant i mean right. once again i'm like even since uh, we did that mcu podcast like endgame has really grown on me like i think endgame mm-hmm. is really an amazing feat <laughs> that they pulled off so i i'm all i'm all about endgame and i think to some of these middle movies i still i think and i was just thinking as we've been talking you know part of maybe what the problem is is that just yeah like i even watching like the core pillar movies like watching the avengers movies and the iron man's and captain america's um you know I, i'm invested in tony stark I'm probably invested somewhat in Steve Rogers. Um, but when there's a scene with like Wanda, for example, like I like I saw um, Age of Ultron like once or twice. And like, I don't really care about her character or like what's going to happen to her moving forward. And the, I feel like the Marvel Universe kind of assumes an investment in all the characters so that like it's exciting to get to see how they're advancing in this movie or what their problem is in this movie. And it's, and it's it's in a weird thing where it's, like, in a TV show that I'm really invested in, like, it is exciting to, like, see, oh, my God, I'm so happy that, like, this episode showed me, like, the advancement of this character. And in these Marvel movies, I don't have that, you know, across the 20 characters or whatever. It's, like, I care about Iron Man, I care about Captain America, but, like, I don't really know what I feel about Wanda and Vision and no, don't really have an investment in the relationship or, like don't even know what her power is really like i I forgot ultimately my my point was that if you are somebody who has watched every single movie if you're somebody who has read the comics who's invested in these characters outside of the world of these core pillar movies then i understand i can understand like why it's exciting to watch these side stories advance you know even if within this movie they don't seem to have a whole lot of like relevance um so i think that's that's i'm trying to square the bridge between why i i love long form storytelling in television so much and why it's not working for me so much in these marvel movies because i i i feel like i've i've done the homework to see the like the important marvel movies and it still doesn't function for me like a good like a, my favorite tv shows do and i'm trying to figure out why
1: well i have a couple of thoughts here um first of all the challenge of large ensemble storytelling is that you simply are going to have some characters you don't get to spend as much time with. And that's just what ensemble storytelling is, unfortunately. Now, if you're doing that in a standalone movie, which this jumps to mind, like the Independence Day podcast that we did with Lindsay Ellis, we were talking about this. And it's like, that's the thing. You have a standalone movie, you have like 20 characters. So they each only get these tiny little moments. If you expand that out into something as big as the Infinity Saga, they're going to have more moments. But unfortunately, you're still operating um, in this space of we're tracking more with certain characters than we are with others. And that's kind of the nature of the beast. Now, I will say to the credit of all of the MCU writers, there's a lot of communication going on between these films. So you have right. the, the the core six Avengers, you know, who kind of all get their own movies. Or will <laughs> I truly cannot with Black Widow? I will have to talk about it at some point and just how dirty the MCU has done her from top to bottom. I'm I, it's infuriating, but you have these core characters, and the MCU has taken care to spend time with them, and even people like Ant Man and some of these other um, characters. And I actually think, and we can circle back to this, but I think that this is a brilliant introduction of the new version of Spider-Man. I think it's great. It's a really, really smart move to bring him in. And Black Panther, right? Those two characters who are going to have their own trilogies are introduced in this movie and they're really well done. Um, So I think that's part of the nature of the beast. I also think, though, that action storytelling is like ramps up the challenge so if you're thinking of something which you know independence day is sort of in that space as well but if you're thinking of like another classic ensemble movie that has a ton of characters um i don't know brian help me out something here fellowship
0: of the ring ocean's 11
1: (laughs) (laughs) neither one of you is brian (laughs) but they
2: both had good answers
1: okay sure but Action storytelling amplifies all of this because the needs to satisfy the needs of the action genre, you end up having to sort of uh, force characters into like, yeah, physical altercations and, and physical peril in a way that you don't have to do in a drama. And so it's not two characters talking over coffee about what they really feel about each other. It has to be people throwing punches or chasing each other in cars or on motorcycles or whatever it is. And I think that... This entire conversation to me is explaining to me why I love really good action screenwriting. It's when we are able, we're given enough character, like motivation, clean and understandable, sympathetic, rich, thematic. And then we're given really amazing action sequences. It's that much harder to do. And I think that even if you don't like Wanda, what Michael was saying about this, the um, scene between her and Vision is incredibly efficient clean well set up like emotional stakes it's in there i mean action movies get um snubbed a lot of the time in terms of like serious storytelling quote unquote but i would argue that they're harder to do really well than some other kinds of writing and so i really yeah. really, really respect this movie for that reason
3: and also to the mcu's credit i find it really emotionally powerful when she's having to sacrifice vision in infinity war, you know? Yeah. So like, so there is a, there is a lot of setup here that doesn't necessarily get paid mm-hmm. off within this movie, which I then appreciate later in the payoff movies. Absolutely. So, you know, it's, it's that weird thing of like, I, I really enjoy the payoff for all this. And it's kind of like, I'm like weird. Like I get worn out on the journey there. It's it's mm-hmm. almost kind of my right.
2: experience. Well, I think something interesting that differentiates television from film is i find there's this weird thing where it's like it's easier to watch 10 episodes 10 hour long episodes of a tv show sometimes than it is to watch two or three movies right because like watching a movie can it depends on the movie obviously but like watching a movie it's sort of like okay i have to like learn who these characters are and then they're going on this full journey and then like i'm like tense and then like finally it's done and then now a resolution and now i have to do all that again. We're usually like a season of television that happens over the course of 10 hours or something.
1: See, this is not true for me because I I think I I think I um, bump on like the engine of TV where I feel like stories naturally have ending points and TV like denies us them. For just the sake of what it
2: is. Sure, definitely. And, and and plenty of shows clearly did not know what to do with seasons three through whatever, you know. Um but, but yeah, but I think that a lot of times with the show, you are sort of waiting for that resolution. And you're excited to watch the next episode because it's building towards this thing that you're waiting for. Um, whereas obviously that's not the case in a 23 film series where half the characters don't show up and half of the movies like it's you don't get to see what happens to iron man next when you watch ant-man and the wasp like you have to wait until the next movie to get there reading the game of thrones books is actually like that because it will be like an aria chapter and then a john chapter and then a sansa chapter and then you don't get another Arya chapter until 100 pages later so it doesn't have these sort of you know Dan Brown like every chapter is a cliffhanger and <laughs> you're like I got to read the next one it's it's this sort of like oh I'm so excited to see what happens to Arya next I have to wait 100 pages for that some people are better readers than I am and they'll just read 100 more pages before <laughs> before they go to bed I'm like nope okay, I'm going to set the book down and then eventually I'll get to find that out so Alex I get that it's like it's not the same thing as watching like watch The Office the first 3 seasons of The Office and like every single episode you're going like Ooh, there was some jim and pam something going on like i need to watch the next episode to see if like that when is that going to resolve and the, even when you know it's not happening until when it happens you're like i know but i want to keep watching because i want to get to that point you're sort of waiting to get to that point that's not how the mcu operates it's how the right. seven films of the series operate if you only look at those seven films but that's not what it is it's if if we look at it as a movie it's a movie with like an a b c d you know down to like m plot, you know where like the plots <laughs> don't it's not like every single movie is tying to this greater thing they but they do tie in in the sense that like the characters show up in each other's movies and they all are interconnected in in some way
1: yeah
0: i think that's a really interesting thing that, that you raised this idea of like like story inertia almost, and mm. and I think kind of encapsulated for me how I feel when I, why it's easier for me to watch TV. Like, it's, it's hard for me to start a TV show because I'm like, sure. oh my God. For such the same reason we talked about, like, yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. like, it's okay, we're going to sit, we're going to meet all the people and like, okay, da-da-da-da. But once you've done that, there is this kind of inertia that you can ride. And in a narrative film, each film has to start from zero, get you up to speed and take you all the way through. And so it's there's more... It, it feels like more effort is required on the part of the viewer and that is often rewarded. Like, I, I don't think one is better than the other. I think it's just of kind of an inherent sure. difference between them. And, and I think right. it is interesting that the MCU kind of makes that morph and happens with Civil War where they're like, we're not right. going to like worry about bringing you from zero anymore. We're just going to assume you're already at speed. And that leaves people behind but also lets them do something different with the rest of it. And so I think that's I think it's just a really interesting thing to think about as like storytellers and as we're examining the forms that stories come
1: in now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it goes back to what you asked in our previous podcast about this, which is are these movies? And mm-hmm. I I do agree with you Alex as my as you guys were both saying earlier you and Michael There's an extent to which Civil War is the crossing of the threshold where these are no longer movies in that same sense. It does become more like a really long, like, form TV show in a way where, yeah, it just, you can't track with absolutely everything if you haven't been on this ride for a certain amount of time. I think that that's actually a smart transition on the part of Marvel Studios, right? Like, because with what they're trying to pull off here... It's absolutely not going to work if you're trying to bring in new viewers, bring in new viewers, bring in new viewers and hold their hands through all of this. That just doesn't happen at a certain point. But I think that what they're going after, and as we've talked about before, has never been done before. And really they were trying something new and pushing the boundaries of what are movies? Can we do this? And they've done it spectacularly. And I think that the natural consequence of that is civil war, there has to be that gear shift at a certain moment.
0: And I think on a meta level, it signals to the world that like, okay, yeah. we're wrapping this up. Like we get it. We've been doing a lot of these, but like there's an endpoint now. So there's this kind of meta thing happening.
3: Yeah, I, I think for me, if Civil War was like broken into like three 45-minute episodes, like like a TV show, I might actually like it more. Because I think because it has that episodic nature and because the beginning is not really a beginning and the end is not really an end. Like I think if I could like watch it in chunks, like I could get my mind into like a, a mode of like, I'm enjoying this like ongoing story. But I think because these movies are presented like a year apart from each other, like in theaters, like I I haven't watched the previous six movies the day before, whatever. Like, I think there's an exhaustion that I feel watching them that I don't feel when watch
2: like binging a Netflix show. And I think, that's- I mean Civil War is like a, an exhausting movie. Like it is there's yeah. a <laughs> lot going on. And I I had that thought watching it this time. Like I said, it's almost like three individual stories or even four if you kind of count the sure. um, you know, like each act and even like the midpoint. It's just sort of like, oh, there's this thing. And I think it's unfortunate. I'm really curious about the the MCU. TV version, I forget what it's going to be called, but the Disney Plus, you know, Marvel shows that are coming out, mm-hmm. like one of which is Falcon and Winter Soldier.
1: And WandaVision.
2: And uh, and WandaVision, of course. But that like clearly is going to be a TV show. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but like if you have Falcon and Winter Soldier, if you have like a Loki one and all this stuff, I'm like really curious, like, can we get closer to bridging that gap between you know, like someone said, Oh, The Irishman, I liked it, but why wasn't it just a four part series? And it's like, cause then it would be a TV show and not a movie. And that is, that affects how people think about things. Even it if does. The Irishman was literally the exact same thing split into four parts, people would be like, Oh, it's a show. It's a series. It's a whatever. It's not a movie. Like, it's a limited
1: series. Yeah. It's a
2: limited series. Yeah. But, and and we're definitely bridging that gap. But I just think it's weird that we, that we feel so much differently about like something being a movie versus being a, you know, like a limited series.
3: I think when I, when I talk about the exhaustion, it's like, It's watching like a really epic two hour is a 40 minute movie. Uh, the fact that for me, it doesn't deliver like a complete movie catharsis like conclusion at the end of that like really epic journey. Like it feels like the whole thing is middle in a lot of ways to me. That's maybe where the exhaustion comes from because it's like you're putting in the like Lord of the Rings scale like investment. It also might just be, I just don't care about the Marvel Universe. Yeah, and that might I mean, just be it. You right? know, I, think, I can't. I think yeah. It's, yeah. I'm trying to figure out why I don't like these movies. <laughs> <laughs> there's like, I think there's differences in taste
0: happening. But as you were saying, Brian, there's differences in expectations of what a movie is. And that's why I hated Lord of the Rings. When I watched the first Fellowship of the Ring and it just ended, and I was like, wait, what? I was so upset because it's, it's playing with the form and that right. you have certain expectations. And so. I think it's, I think it only makes sense that it's going to be messy when we're playing with that and people are going to react differently. And the one thing we can all agree on is that Spider-Man is great. And I love the way he's introduced. And I just want to, there's a moment in the scene that when I was listening to the commentary, they talked about that. I just wanted to say, cause it was it's yes. really funny. Yes. Is the, uh, you know, it was like Tom Holland's like, you know, First day on set and he's like this kid and he's acting with Robert Downey Jr. in this new Avengers movie. Uh-huh. like It's a big deal and he was super nervous. And apparently Robert Downey Jr. was a super accommodating and like helping him like craft this star making performance basically. Mm-hmm. And there's a moment where Tony gets up to go sit next to him on the bed, uh-huh. and Tony has the line, "I'm going to sit here, so you move the leg." Right. That was an <laughs> improvise nice. because Tom Holland forgot the blocking of the scene. Right. And Robert Downey Jr. just rolls with it and makes it that much better. Of like, it's I just an it. love it. Yeah. Right. It's so great.
1: That whole scene. I mean, everything about the way that Spider-Man is introduced in this, where it's like it's concealed from us for a little while who he is and like what's going on the new take on Aunt May is just 180 degrees from every version of Aunt May we've ever seen. Mm, Right. But then, yeah, where Tony's, like, poking around his bedroom and, like, finds his stuff, where he's like, what is this? What is that? This is you, isn't it? It's really, really, like, we figure it out really quickly, but they spend enough time in that scene. And it's almost jarring with the rest of the movie how much time we spend in that scene because it's a longer scene than, like, any other scene of just dialogue that exists Mm -hmm. in the movie there's that there's not that much dialogue anywhere else (laughs) in the entire movie of two people talking to each other but they really spend the time with it and it pays off so well when we get to like more and more into the character um the character relationship between iron man and spider-man and so i it feels almost like it takes you out of the rhythm of the movie but it's smart to do this here so that they can kind of like get into it more quickly when you get into Spider-Man homecoming.
0: And I just feel like they navigate all the meta things also. So elegantly, like Mm -hmm. we've seen, like we know Spider-Man's backstory. We've seen it 400 times, like (laughs) just skip to like the most fun parts, give us hints of the things we already know to just be like, okay, yeah, yeah, that's what it is. And now this is our new Spider-Man and this is how he's coming into the movie. And it was I remember being like tense once I realized what they were doing. Of like, oh god, they could really screw this up. And then by the end of that scene, just being like, I'm so happy. I love this new Spider-Man.
1: <laughs> yeah, and and the nervousness is adorable.
0: Right, it, it works yeah. so well. Yeah, so. A, a lot of
2: that was real, apparently, and <laughs> right. ch- channeled nicely. Which
1: is a nice, yeah. The casting, well done. Yeah,
2: yeah. Also, Tom Holland can do this, but Martin Freeman and Benedict Cumberbatch. You know, you asked them to play Sherlock and Watson. They knock it out of the park. You asked them to play Bilbo and both antagonists in the Hobbit films. And they're the best part of this, like, lame trilogy. You asked them to have believable American accents in a Marvel movie.
1: No, they cannot. <laughs> <laughs> no, sir. God bless them. Tom Holland,
2: on the other hand. Excellent. Right. Yeah. It di- It
0: did, like, take me a minute. Like, when Martin Freeman showed up, I was like, why is he talking funny? Like, what yeah. is what is this character choice? That's <laughs> is this is Spargo
2: season one. <laughs> yeah,
1: I love Tom Holland's background in dance as well because it makes it works so well for the character. Mm. Like the way you've... that he moves, it just makes so much sense. That's how Spider Man could and should move. But it's because of Tom Holland and like all the dance that he comes from. And you've great. seen him
0: performing Umbrella, uh, one of the greatest
1: <laughs> videos of all time.
0: Of all time, yes. <laughs> awesome.
1: One thing that I know about you, listener, is that you are smart and cool and amazing. Thank you. Oh, you're so welcome, Brian. Oh, you
2: weren't. I'm sorry. I mean you No, smart. it's fine it's fine, I get it. We were listening too. We count.
1: Yes, you are, Michael. Smart and cool and amazing. And I know our listeners are too because I've talked to a lot of them on Twitter and on Patreon and they are great to talk to. They have fascinating opinions about movies. But I'm sure that our listeners also have friends and kindred spirits who are obsessed with movies. We would love to meet them too. So, you should tell that person about Beyond the Screenplay and bring them into our community because we would love to get to know you all better
0: should we start a cult
1: yeah (laughs) (laughs) but a fun kind of cult where we all get rich not not the kind where we all die
0: yeah Yeah. those are the best kind to quickly wrap up i want to ask everyone which side of the civil war would you be on are you team cap or are you team iron man
2: brian do you want to start us off I, I don't know. I this uh, I feel like I feel like there's the Bucky problem, which is like <laughs> it's real. In theory, I would be on the side that is like I don't want to be kept in check by authority. I'm not gonna sign this thing that you know, like I think just based on that alone, I would be team cap. But I feel like in terms of who the actual characters are on each side and and you know, which side I would which which gang I would rather hang out with, it'd probably be team Tony. Yeah.
0: Yeah, when, when they do the, like, the two shots of, like, the two sides of the airport, I'm always like, Tony has the cooler team. Oh, yeah. oh <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's be honest here.
3: Uh, Alex, what about you? Yeah, I think same as Brian for pretty much the same reasons. Just the, the Bucky problem. And I would probably on, be on the side of, I'm a little nervous about what this group of enhanced humans could potentially do. And maybe it's good for the world to have some say over our actions. Okay. Um,
0: So we're leaning toward oversight slightly here and then right on the team.
2: All right, Trisha. Do they need anyone to just hang out with Aunt May? (laughs) (laughs) They have plenty of people ready for that.
1: Um, I'm team Tony, uh, mostly because Black Widow's journey in this is, or like her logic through all of this, I really relate to, which is like, I have to make a strategic decision here And it's probably better to do that inside the system than, or like we'll be more effective to do that inside the system. Like I'm not going to be able to take it down from the outside. Probably that's not going to go the way that I want. So kind of this like opportunistic, like I might as well do this now, potentially walk it back later, stay on the good side of everybody. If I can, in the meantime, you kind of have to be a little bit. Yeah strategic about it but then yeah. she lets cap and bucky go which right. is like you know that's not gonna go well for you <laughs>
0: right um right.
1: but it is they are sympathetic basically i'm black widow
0: i like that i feel like this was like when i became a big fan of her also like i feel like she gets to do really well they finally things. gave her
1: something to do didn't something they? something to do yeah, yeah they did
0: yeah i also love that like after everyone's arrested they're taken to like azkaban in the middle <laughs> of the ocean <laughs> right like, but, okay. really is. right yeah uh all right well i am also team tony which probably doesn't surprise anybody just like it's the cooler team and like yeah rules are important everybody like (laughs) there needs to be some structure and order to to everything why don't we go around and say what lessons we're going to take away from captain america civil war
2: brian do you want to start us off sure um i think it's interesting because when you think about this movie you think about it's this sort of two sides movie even though it does have this clear protagonist in steve and it does have this antagonist who isn't uh, Tony, you know, Daniel Brule with the most punchable face in Hollywood.
1: I like his face.
2: It's punchable though. Actually, sorry, Kyle Chandler, then Daniel Brule.
1: <gasps> How dare
2: nothing okay. against them as actors, nothing even against them as, you know, in their looks, just I want to punch them. Um <laughs> wow. all right. that's all. They, I know, have different we, feelings, but that's we can okay. be friends. We, you know. Um but uh but obviously the main focus of the movie is Steve and Tony's conflict. And I think what's cool and what this movie really shows is that you don't need to determine a protagonist and an antagonist, even though this is Captain America, civil war, it doesn't feel like it's, Oh, here's the good guy. And here's the bad guy. Here's the guy we're supposed to be with. Here's the other guy. It's both characters are operating on a philosophy that you can understand and you can Mm -hmm. get behind and you don't need to necessarily be rooting for anybody. Like I think about something like marriage story where I'm not, actually rooting for anybody i'm just watching these two characters i'm hoping there's going to be some satisfying resolution but i'm i get where they're both coming from and i'm just following them along and maybe sometimes you agree with one character more than another but i do like that you can have these two characters who you you don't you're not asking the audience to agree with one more than the other you're just asking the audience to go along with the ride basically Mm -hmm. as opposed to something like black panther where you have killmonger where it's like it's a sympathetic antagonist you understand why he's doing what he's doing but you're not being asked to agree with it or, or think it's a good idea um, and I just like that, that this movie really is a good example of how you don't need to determine who is right and who is wrong in your movie you know like we talked about Trisha with Jurassic Park with you mm-hmm. know with uh, Hammond and Grant where it's like it's not about oh he's right and he's wrong it's about no these characters are are arguing about this idea and we can think about who we are on board with but these screenwriters are not asking you to to make right. a choice
3: yeah for sure Alex so, yeah, so I feel like this has been a slightly fraught conversation about the Marvel <laughs> series. Um, but yeah, I think what I've said before earlier on this podcast was that I am so impressed with the payoff for all this, like mm. the fact that endgame sticks the landing that well gives me does give me a deeper appreciation of the entire series, and editing this video, helping to write this video about the arcs of the two main characters was also. Kind of revelatory for me, of like, wow, this this is a really epic thing they constructed that they managed to shepherd all the way through to the end. So I think that's really what I just most impressed by. Basically, I'm impressed with the overall feat of this whole thing. And even if I don't love all the individual movies in this giant thing, there's a probably a reason why I loved Endgame, and part of it is the setup, you know. So I think I have to respect that and admire what they accomplished. Hmm. Yeah. Awesome. Trisha?
1: I really love the design of Helmet Zemo here. I think it's a really smart approach to writing the villain character. It strips back the genre uh, imperatives here. You're writing a huge action superhero movie. So if you are Marcus and McFeely and you sit down to do that, instead of starting with, okay, so how's the world going to get in jeopardy this time? you go back to the characters, you go back to the situations, you go back to sort of the themes that are embedded in here. What does it really mean to have enhanced people in the world? What is the cost? And so you're asking something serious and grounded without necessarily planning. And and, and maybe they were you know doing all of this at the same time, but without necessarily planning. Okay, and then this is how it's going to arrive in this climactic fight. This is how it's going to like, We're going to, you know, smash up some cars and we're going to do whatever it is. If you strip down the genre to be the story about the characters, you often arrive at a more interesting design for an antagonist. And I think that's exactly what we have here in Zemo. And that's one of the biggest reasons that I really love this movie is because you have somebody who is just a wounded person with a real compelling, believable wound. When Zemo is sitting there listening to the voicemail that he has saved, the last voicemail that he got from his wife and his son, it doesn't just make him a sympathetic villain. It makes him an understandable human. And at the end of this movie, he puts a gun under his chin and tries to kill himself. He's not trying to win. Mm
3: -hmm.
1: That's a more interesting villain than any other one in this series, I would think. Like, I mean, Thanos is great. And, you know, there's a rich thematic argument that's being had in Endgame and in Infinity War. But Zemo here is a person in a way that a lot of these other villains kind of don't manage to be. And so I really, really like the design of him here. And I think that there are a myriad of lessons that we can take away from that. But I just want to. Yeah, I really, really like this Um, as a genre writer myself, I think that. No matter what genre you're operating in, if you can find the humanity of somebody, that's the way you succeed.
0: Yeah. And I do feel like this is kind of where they started to, in general, put a few more interesting antagonists into the MCU. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like not 100%, but I feel like they, they started to play around with it a little bit. And I think the success of of this character probably pushed them toward that.
1: Yeah, and thematically too, this movie is in a lot of ways about grief and how people deal with having lost something or lost someone. And so again, the design of the antagonist is born out of this sort of thematic thing. We see Tony grieving the loss of his parents. We see Wanda grieving the loss of her brother. We see like all of this grief is sort of baked in here. And so then to have that be the the engine that drives the villain here, it's good writing.
0: Yeah, I think for me, I am blown away by how like the immense juggling like you were saying alex the feet of all of this and how this creative team and i think it's probably no accident that it is co-writers and co-directors because i think you need that many minds to hold all of this but mm. that these films that they worked on especially for me starting with civil war like are tonally like pitch perfect, I think. And there are no flaws with any of it. And I think at times that can make it feel a little too clean and safe. But I think at the same time, that's extremely impressive. And then when it lands, it lands that much more. And so that's just every time I'm watching it, I'm blown away by like, how how did you know that we needed this kind of moment and this mood to have this beat play. And then you like bring up music or this transition, like camera moves this way. And like the story beat that changes is like all senses in this, like, the, the the range of tones and emotions and beats and the things that they're asking us to go along with are insane yes. for all of these movies. But it really works. I, like, I, do, I can't picture it being done any better. And that's just really impressive. So I think they're, they're movies that I will return to when thinking about that and tonal transitions and how to uh, run the dynamic range of your story without losing the audience. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. What's everyone been watching? Trisha.
1: I decided to watch a movie directed by Michael Crichton. Um,
0: (laughs) What? What? He He was directed by Michael Crichton.
1: Listen, he directed some movies and one of them is the movie runaway from 1984 starring Tom Selleck, Cynthia Rhodes, gene simmons as the villain and kirsty alley wow the plot of this <laughs> it was a time the plot of this movie is basically cops versus robots and <laughs> i love it <laughs> it is not a good movie um <laughs> but it it's just like a like a big stupid action movie from 1984 with really bad like robots in it um that are all they look like they're made of um connects or like an erector set kind of thing with like the metal (laughs) you know what i'm talking about Uh um with like bolts like why Uh do machines have so many bolts in them and they there's like electricity everywhere like lots of wires um (laughs) it's great it's it's really really bad uh but yeah if you want to see a movie michael Crichton directed you can check out runaway it's actually quite watchable. It's it's quite watchable. It's it's very tight. It's like ninety minutes long, <laughs> and you, cops versus robots. You got it. It's great.
2: Right. He directed Westworld.
1: Yeah, he did. Okay,
2: yeah. I, th- I I thought he directed yeah. the movie. Yeah. And the uh, the great train robbery, which you know, those are both like fairly well thought of movies. Yeah. <laughs> Ish. A-
1: and Runaway. <laughs> that's, that's
2: <laughs> and that's Runaway. That's <laughs> Awesome. Brian, what have you been watching? You mentioned, Michael, a few um, many episodes ago that you watched for the first time the movie What We Do in the Shadows. Uh, And I mentioned that I started watching the TV show and then just never finished. Uh, And I finally caught up over the past couple weeks. And it is delightful um it's everything like if you're a fan of the movie you need to watch the show it takes a second to get into because the first episode is too much just kind of a copy of the movie Mm -hmm. and then like the second third episode you're like i don't know quite what i'm watching yet but then once you settle into like the middle of the season then you're just like okay i know what the show is i know who these characters are and you can just really settle into it and have fun with it um it actually, like we're talking about with the MCU, it balances the sort of episodic structure with overarching storylines in a nice way where it's very much by definition a sitcom where like every episode is like, what if these characters were in a library or whatever? It's like very much like we are doing this thing this week. But then there are plot points that you're like. Oh, that could just be a throwaway thing. And then that plot point ends up coming back and driving mm-hmm. the story and everything. So you're not just watching this like total throwaway one-off every week kind of thing. Um, and uh, and it is actually like Taiko Waititi and Jemaine Clement are... Uh, involved with it so taika directed i think two episodes and jemaine co-wrote those episodes they both show up in a brief point and there's a bunch of like fun cameos from like nick kroll Haley joel osmond tilda swinton craig robinson uh beanie feldstein vanessa bayer benedict wong and some other people that i won't mention because there's one episode where it's basically like the Vampire Council. And <laughs> yeah, so it's just like an episode that that's an episode that's directed by Taika written by Jermaine. And that's just like rife for cameo. And yeah, yeah so nice. highly recommended.
3: Awesome. Alex, what have you been watching? So I don't know if this is allowed because I've been playing it, but I wanted to mention it uh, this week because we're talking about the MCU. So I've been playing God of War, which is a PS4 game. Uh, I've been playing a lot of video games lately because we've been all locked in our houses. And uh, I... Have to say that what I understand for like a lot of people, especially young people, like the Marvel movies feel like and why they're so like renowned and wonderful is how I feel playing this game. Like, I think this game cinematically and just like just viscerally is giving me the experience that I think I'm supposed to be getting when I go to see a modern blockbuster in theaters now. You know, when I go to see kind of a modern superhero blockbuster movie. I know that like there's a lot of craft going on and these epic scenes are like a really amazing feat of you know art and yet I'm at a distance I'm kind of zoning out I'm kind of not really with it I'm kind of just waiting for it to be over sometimes and in this game there are a lot of moments where you're not even controlling you're not playing physically and you're going through this like thrilling cutscene that is giving me like the childlike like giddy feelings that I that I used to get from movies so Mm. it's interesting I I think I'm starting to get from really blockbuster video games the thing that I used to get from movies and don't really anymore and so Mm. it's a very interesting observation I found it's like oh I can still get this thing but it seems to be working for me in this interactive format whereas I'm feeling at a distance and kind of detached in what whatever's happening right now with a lot of modern blockbusters
0: Yeah. It's interesting. And I feel like there's probably, for me anyway, I think a lot of, you know, the more you study a thing,
3: the less visceral impact it can have on you. Right. This is a magic. There's a real magic for me playing some of these like AAA games. It's like, I don't understand how you're giving me this experience. It's so amazing.
0: Hmm. Yeah. yeah. I think, I think you can develop a deeper appreciation for things. But there is, I think, for me anyway, less of that because the magic of the the trick is gone. You don't get the same wow right. when they pull off a magic trick. Right. I just started one episode only of Killing Eve, mm. uh, which had been on my list for a while. Created by obviously Phoebe Waller Bridge, and it was delightful. It's as I mentioned before. There's this almost tension and stress I feel starting a new show because it's like I gotta. They're going to show me all these things. i got to learn all this stuff. There's going to be all this setup. Like, (laughs) okay, I'm here for it. Let's try it. And this one was just like a smooth, delightful ride. And I think you can really feel the Phoebe Waller bridge tonality coming through and and the playfulness of the characters. And it also then lets it do that thing where the comedy kind of lets you, uh, forces you to let your guard down. So that then when impactful things happen, it like really hits you because you're like, oh, wow, they went there. But it, it still feels contained and and reasonable to put all that in the same thing uh so i've only watched the first episode but i'm very excited to continue it it's one of the few things that i've seen and it like stays in the back of my mind it's like wait but i want to go like watch like what's next Mm -hmm. it's also dealing with sociopaths which you know your favorite thing yeah yeah awesome well this has been our conversation on captain america civil war thank you everyone for listening thank you to the patrons for supporting the show and making it possible and we'll see you in the next episode Bye.
1: Bye, everybody.
3: Bye.